Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, uh, The Bullet Vanishes opens in China, the latest Lao Wan film. Uh, Shanghai is getting a theme park from DreamWorks. And The Avengers gets a super Blu-ray set. We also look at the films Silent War, Bulgaria, and Brave. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Tuesday, August 14th, 2012. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox. And joining me, as always, from his super secret location right here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Welcome, everybody. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm good, sir. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, doing a couple of things. Uh, actually, I want to make an announcement. Uh, we literally did, I literally did this 15 minutes before we started recording tonight. Um, and I know we should put plugs like this at the end of the show, but uh, we just started a new Facebook page. We are Yay! now on Facebook. Yes, <laughs> we are now on Facebook. East Screen, West Screen now has a Facebook page, which will absolutely have absolutely nothing new uh, from the <laughs> from the regular site page you see. But uh, we will be updating things, you know, like new shows. Uh, whenever we have, we do live, we'll post the Ustream link up again, and um, and of course news links and uh, various things that I find along the way. Because right now, uh, Paul, you're not on Facebook, is that correct? I am not on Facebook. I am on. Uh, of course, we have our own site, and I'm on the Google Plus and the Twitter. Um, but I've I, I'm I'm put off by the the walled garden aspect of Facebook. You know that is the idea that um, to play within the garden, you have to be inside the garden. You can't go and view it from the outside like some other social media services. That's always kind of put me off. I I know I should be there. People have asked me, you know, to get to get the site there. So I'm really happy. And kudos to Mr. Ma for doing the groundwork and and uh, you know taking up the the torch for getting us on Facebook. I'm sure that. Somewhere Mark Zuckerberg is laughing, right? <laughs> well, many, many friends of the show, you know, like Kenneth and um, many people who actually add me on Facebook are fans who are fans of the my writing or, or, or your work or our work here, Paul. Uh, they add us on uh, or they add me on Facebook. So it'll be great to gather all these people into one one place where we can, uh, you know, the more interaction we can do, the better. Yes. So, uh, well, yeah, add us on uh, facebook.com slash East Est West S. Yes, that's one word, East S, West S, because East Green, West Green is too big, and EW, what, ESWS was taken already. So, mm. yeah, we got stuck with East S and West S. That works um, for me. Yeah, that works for me. And, yeah, this one word, uh, be sure to like us, and, uh, yeah, let's, let's Facebook. All right, excellent. Um, in other news, anything else going on? I was just reading uh, the weather reports, uh, possibility of another typhoon a bit later this week. Yes, and of course, as always, uh, I don't expect Mr. Lee to be turning off his shield until um, probably Friday afternoon. Yeah, Friday, 6 p.m. 
Yes, so, Friday uh, 6 p.m. We turn it off and go. I'm off for the weekend. Yeah. You guys enjoy. But uh, this this typhoon is uh, or this tropical storm. So far, it's still tropical storm, and we don't expect it to get get up to a typhoon. Actually, it's called Kaitech. Yes, named after our airport here in Hong yes. Kong, right? So, so it only makes sense that it it, it visits us here in Hong Kong. Kai Kaitech, we missed you. Come back. Yes, Kaitech will be closing Kaitech. Um, but you know the the thing that does worry me a little bit is is if it's on target according to the various weather services that i've looked at and on time according to them which uh, sometimes they're not but it looks like it'll be hitting us on the weekend and we've got a lot of movies this week right yes we do have gonna really cut into a movie watching time for um me not so much because i'll probably only be able to get out to one film this weekend but you've got a bunch of stuff you're going to have to see there's a little film festival going on around this weekend as well, right? Yes, the Summer International Film Festival uh, has is kicking off tonight, actually. Uh, our friend Kozo is actually off watching uh, GFBF, the new Taiwanese film. And yes, actually, most my, my, my four movies this year are both on Saturday, starting this Saturday and mm. next Saturday. Uh, and of course, we have Thursday, we have Diva. Uh, Saturday, we'll also be looking, help, hopefully, watching the new Salman Khan movie, Ek the Taiga. I just went and picked up the tickets. Um, and we're also trying to fit in the new Mato movie. Yeah, so a lot going on. Rumor has it, too, that uh, the screening of Diva on Thursday is going to be uh, having a visit by the actress herself and pop star Joey Young. Yes, Joey Young is going to be doing a whole tour of Hong Kong theaters, or actually Kowloon theaters that night. Uh, and I'm trying to get us into um, one of those showings, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, if it all works out, then, uh, yeah, we'll be seeing Miss Joey Young in the flesh. Uh, not much of her flesh, but in the flesh, so to speak, uh, <laughs> and on Thursday night. All right. Well, that sounds exciting. Um, of course, we've got some news to talk about, but, but before we get to that, uh, what films are we going to be covering this week? Yes, uh, for East Screen, we'll be covering uh, The Silent War, starring Tony Lun and Zhou Xun. Uh, also, Bulgaria, the new film by Pang Chun, starring Chapman Toh. Uh, for West Screen, we'll be covering the new Pixar film, Bright. All right, all that sounds good. Let me sh- um, throw a quick shout-out to our chat room, because we are streaming this live right now. Uh, we've got one person in there, Mr. Marco Spomberg, friend of the show. Hopefully a couple other people will be dropping by at some point. Uh just head over to uh, Ustream if you'd ever like to catch our show live. And we put the uh, schedule up over on the site of when we're going to be broadcasting. Don't always make the schedule, but we try to. Uh, for now, though, let's get into a little bit of news. All right, so um, just a couple news stories this week. Uh, a couple of these caught my eye, and I think uh, one was brought to my attention by Kevin uh, earlier last week. Um, up first, opening today, apparently, uh, in China, is uh, the latest film from uh, Derek Yi, who's producing, and uh, the director is... Uh, well, I lost Lao Chi Lun. Lao Chi Lun, yeah. Lao Chi Lun, uh, the director of Double Tap and uh, Kidnap. Yeah, and this is the film called The Bullet Vanishes. It stars uh, Lao Ching Wan, also uh, Nick Tse. Um, and this, it's, uh, the, the article's coming from um, ChineseFilms.cn. Uh, and it uh, has a nice image of Lao Ching Wan sort of looking a bit like Sherlock Holmes uh, in, in, a, in a, like a sort of a dark brown trench coat with a hat on. Um, this duo has worked together on other films before, such as uh, C'est la vie mon chéri in 1993. You mentioned Double Tap, uh, One Night in Mongkok as well. Um, the film itself is said to be set in the Republic of China period 
are there many films that aren't these days? Uh, we're going to be talking <laughs> about one uh, in that, that sort of borders on that period in just a moment. Uh, it says that it's about a serial killer on the loose in a factory and some cursed uh, ghost bullets leads two detectives to the murderer. So sounds kind of interesting. Sounds kind of intriguing. Um, going to be kind of curious how they pull off the ghost bullets idea if this is really something supernatural or not because oh no 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 this is a detective movie where yeah. um the phantom bullet whatever the thing is yeah yeah um but I, i'm kind of intrigued about it of course i, I really like louching one as an actor um nick say depending on the role he's in can be okay as well why is this film not open in hong kong um pure i think pure and simple it's a matter of scheduling i mean in in China, they have the the domestic film protective protecting month or something that we call. So they can't they're not opening a foreign film until uh, end of the month when mm-hmm. Batman and Spider Man goes up against each other. So they can they have space to to open up domestic films that still be a hit. In fact, the Silent Wars already made 125 million RMB in the first week because part possibly because of this block. Mm-hmm. Um, but unlike unlike China here, we still have a lot of Hollywood films to compete with. Uh, for example, I mean this weekend where you have. Uh, quite a few movies um i mean look we already have uh diva and madori two local movies um rock of ages um also uh i'm looking at right now the new team tim is a new 3d animation movie uh paranorman called, yeah paranorman yeah. and it's a pretty packed month and i'm guessing that they're holding the film until possibly mid-autumn early early september or if not early october yeah, i mean i haven't even so, seen any uh, we haven't seen any trailers for it. There's no posters up and around town, so there is a Hong Kong version trailer, you know, floating on the EEG site. But yeah, you're right. There is essentially no no promotion done, which means they're not ready to start marketing this movie just yet. Do you think this might be pushed till Christmas? No, no, not this far. There's way too many. Actually, Christmas is already packed because you mm-hmm. already have a new Child and Fat film. You already have. Um, uh, Wong Kar Wai, of course, uh, and at least those two movies are, you know, who, who, those two movies, who's going to want to watch Lao Cheng Wan and, and Nicholas Say? Mm. Um, so if anything, it'll be this fall, and I, I, I personally, I suspect mid-autumn, because many of the big National Day films probably won't be opening here in Hong Kong, because there are more China releases, um, so it's possible that Emperor might be holding it until um, then, but of course, that tells you, one, that they don't, wor- they're not worried about piracy whatsoever, mm. Um that they don't really care about the Hong Kong market anymore. As long as they open big in China, they can make money back. And here it's almost like, it's almost like we're like the little kid, the, the little orphan kids who get the scraps. Hmm. Certainly gives me that kind of feeling. Um, and I can understand their, their want for scheduling to make it, to put it at the most possible, most successful um, slot possible, but I don't like it. Hmm. I don't like it. Yeah. And I wanted to, and I do wanted to, and I was thinking about going across the border and watching it because um, there was a possibility that it might open with Cantonese in Guangdong province, but um, they only have the Mandarin version and the two main actors are dubbed. And so is Liu Kai-chi and the only person who's not dubbed is probably Minnie Yang. And there's no point in me spending $80 on a movie that I can't hear the voices of Hong Kong actors. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Well, hopefully it'll come sooner rather than later because uh, I am anxious to see it. I'm anxious to see how, how Derek Gee cop yeah, steals from Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll be talking more about that film when and if. Obviously, it should come to Hong Kong, but uh, you never know in this day and age uh, when it does come here and when it opens here. Uh, next bit of news, uh, DreamWorks China to open a 
$3.1 billion Shanghai theme park. Um, now, I came across this news originally, I want to say it was in South China Morning Post, but I can't, uh, I can't pull excerpts from the South China Morning Post because of their paywall for our show notes. Um, well, I, I could copy, but I like to provide links for, you know, official links for listeners. So I'm drawing this from the original Reuters article, which should uh, be easily accessed by people out there if you're interested to follow up on the notes page. Um, but basically, yeah, the DreamWorks is going to be opening their own theme park in Shanghai. Uh, this is in part due to a sort of a joint venture that they are now working on with uh, um, some some other groups, some Chinese groups in uh, in the region. Uh, there was a news earlier this year talking about how they're going to be working on uh, opening their own sort of uh, distribution uh, studios called uh, Oriental DreamWorks that's going to develop and produce uh, Chinese animated and live-action content for distribution within China and around the globe. Um, the thing that I think really kind of stands out in my mind when I first came across this article was the fact that here you have what turns out to be a pretty major film company and production house in the United States, DreamWorks, which I think was originally, who was it? It was, uh, uh, Spielberg, uh, Katzenberg and Geffen or, or someone else. Yes, Geffen. Geffen, who, who, who sort of got together and, and they set the company up, and one of their goals was to sort of challenge uh, the groups like Disney and, and some of the other uh, you know, big studios out there. And I think they've been fairly success, successful in doing that. But, but not without having to create alliances with studio, sure, uh, sure. ironically, yes. Um, you know, but they've, they're still around. You know, they're, still, they're still making fairly good work, you know, depending on on the view of the things that they produce. But um, this just really, it, it kind of floored me to think that here's this company that's really going to be starting with an initial theme park in China rather than in the United States. And and what does this say about their belief in the rise of the middle-class Chinese consumer, especially people, you know, living in the more urban centers like Shanghai or, or Beijing or whatnot? And the decline, I guess, of the, the U.S. middle-class consumer. Um, you know, the, I know that the U.S. has plenty of theme parks already. You've got two Disney parks and tons of other, you know, places, Six Flags over Georgia and whatnot. Um, but, I, I mean, what do you think about this, Kevin? Does this shock you as much as it does me? Um, I don't think it's quite shocking because, let's say, you know, if DreamWorks wanted their own theme park, it was never going to be possible because they're not as big as, say, Disney or Paramount or even Universal, of course. Uh, in fact, they're still housed in Universal City right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're actually, they're still own they're not their own company anymore. They haven't been their own company since 2006 when Viacom owned them for two years and now Reliance uh, Group, I think, from the Middle East, I think. Um, now it's their, their bot and uh, sorry, I'm just looking at where, where, where Alliance is. Uh, yeah, this Middle Eastern company, Alliance Group, is now now owns them, which means they're not an uh, independent studio, and that means they don't have the clout to open their own um, theme park um, um, in, in, in Hollywood hmm. uh, or in America. So, of course, the natural place to go, since um, their franchises like, like Kung Fu Panda has been huge in China, and actually Kung Fu Panda was such a big project or such a big success or a big step for DreamWorks Animation that it kind of makes sense for them to to cater to the China market because 
um, their Chinese theme movie franchise has been the most their most successful film here, uh, or I think most successful franchise of the whole company. Hmm. Uh, I don't remember Madagascar. I think it's the other thing, but they're not going to open a theme park in China. I mean, in Africa, right? So, so China just seems like a natural place to go. And um, and honestly, I'm not that surprised. Um, I I'm not because when they when they announced, uh, I thought actually I'm I'm surprised about the theme park because I didn't know they would go this far. I'm not surprised about their vent- joint venture in um. Yeah, I mean, that, Universal Oriental. That, That's normal. That kind of made sense. I mean, you're looking yes. at. Especially for animated films, you know, a lot of outsourcing gets, you know, and the handling of, of the animation itself gets handled in different parts of Asia, uh, including some in China. So it makes sense for them to have sort of a hub studio here. But the fact that they're just going to go all out and do a theme park, um, just it, it just kind of really shocked me that, that we've, you know, and I guess this points to globalization, right? I mean, this points to the way that industries have fragmented. I mean, we've... People talk about manufacturing and, you know, even even the tech industries and how everything's been moved offshore. Now are we starting to see actual Hollywood ventures more and more being moved offshore uh, with, well, with models with like this? Well, Disney ha- has already been building theme parks overseas for years and Universal, so is Universal. They have already have uh, two theme parks yeah. in... Um, but in, the idea in, is that originally you had... A Disney, you know, Disney's first theme park was in the United States. Universal's first theme park was in the United States, right? Uh-huh. This, it's not like DreamWorks already has a theme park in the United States. Their first theme park, officially, is going to be China. That is true. Yes, that is that is a very good point. Um, it, but in the end, it's, it doesn't really surprise because it's not surprising because in the end, studios would go where the money is. Hmm. And it would appear that, considering that uh, Kung Fu Panda 2 underperformed in America, but became one of the, the highest grossing animated film ever in Chinese history, um, it just seemed natural they would go where the money is, and that's China. Uh, especially when they have Kung Fu Panda as, a, as, as their, as their you know, landmark series. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do, because we also have the Hua Yi Brothers theme park. Yes, uh, the... the, Kung Fu Hollywood or, or whatever. What yeah, maybe they can. Maybe they can. China uh, Hollywood, China Wood, right? No, no, that's that's the production studio, uh, production of uh, production hub. Mm. Uh, they're building something with like a, a Feng Shao Gong theme park or something, which I'm sure will maybe they can work together on making Aftershock the ride. <laughs> they can just buy the old Earthquake ride from Universal and yes, exactly, and, and, and sort of reassemble it and retheme it, right? Yeah, they didn't get a, they didn't get a well, DreamWorks can hire a director to direct the ride, and they don't need Feng Shaogan to do it because Feng Shaogan, you know, is busy making, you know, counting money. So <laughs> they use um, American technology to build a Chinese, you know, this is what I call, you know, just like there's a Chinese style democracy. Now you can build Chinese style theme park rides. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'll go. It'll get me to go back to Shanghai if this thing comes together. I'd love to see like a, a Kung Fu Panda Land and a madagascar land and but you know what this actually is very interesting because um who else is building their theme park in shanghai disney yeah that's true shanghai disneyland i'm wondering if which one would get there first and uh what would happen when they're going head to head yeah the the, according to the reuters article it says uh 2016 is the target date um so and you know who knows the things like you know that's still ways off and and these deals because there are so many players involved um it, there's a there's a chance it could fall apart you know it's not like disney when disney comes to the table they bring a lot of clout with them because they're sort of a unified 
you know, they're they're one of the big uh, the big ten as they used to be so named, right? Um, and you know, a lot of people complained about the deal that uh, Hong Kong got when Disney came and negotiated with the Hong Kong government. As a result, uh, they felt it was an unfair deal, but that's the kind of clout that Disney brings in. Uh, DreamWorks maybe doesn't have quite so much clout, and, you know, it, when, with such a mixed venture like this, you know, maybe it'll get uh, skewed around a little bit and, and not come to pass. But if it does, like I said, I'm, I'd be excited to go and visit. It would certainly be something different to go and see and, and compare with. I mean, if you've been to one Disney theme park, you've kind of been to them all. Um, yeah. And, and that's true of Hong Kong, it's true of Florida, California. I haven't been to the one in France or Tokyo, but, uh, you know, I'm guessing it's pretty much uh, the, the same kind of stuff. So, I'll know. give you one advice for, for the Tokyo one. Go to Disney Sea instead. <laughs> All right. That's my, my advice. But, you know, because we're talking about it. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, if you are a fan of DreamWorks stuff, uh, you might have a theme park to visit in the very near future. I just hope it doesn't have Disney prices. I was reading an article... Uh, from Disney World in Florida, where they just uh, upped the price. It's like a hundred, upwards of a hundred bucks a ticket for a single day now. It's just insane. Uh, but yeah, dudes in costumes to eat too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I need to dress up as a costume and work there yeah. before I could afford to go <laughs> I, there anymore. Right? I think they make they make more than I do now. Yeah. Like those guys. <laughs> um, all right, uh, one final news story to talk about this week, and uh, that is a little bit of news about the Avengers uh, Blu-ray set. Uh, Kevin, you have some information about this? Yes, yes, yes. The uh, Avengers, uh, with the Avengers Blu-ray coming, uh, of course, uh, they're taking the chance. Um, I think this is uh, Paramount. Paramount is releasing all the Marvel movies uh, that has been made so far into one big, mega, super-duper, ultra-sized box that's in a metal case called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Um, the the metal this, case kind of looks like the Tony Stark uh, it is suitcase from Iron Tesseract. Man two, right? Well, no, this is the one that hosts a Tesseract in uh in the in the Avengers. Oh, right? okay, all right, that's yes. what it is. Yeah. The the metal case that that Nick Fury holds in the beginning of the film, it will feature all the Marvel movies so far, and I'm looking at my shelf to make sure which ones. Uh, it's Iron Man one, Iron Man two, Thor, Captain America, um, and of course the. Avengers, uh, all come with uh, new covers and all that stuff, and it's a super case and super, super duper, and they're very nice. But the problem is, um, Marvel is getting sued because uh, when they made the Avengers uh, for Nick Fury's case, they actually had to license the Remoa a design from Remoa, which is a very well known, um, of course, a suitcase manufacturer mm. um, and a very expensive one. And since they actually licensed the design, they and they did not license that same design for the Blu-ray set. Hmm. So uh, apparently Marvel is now getting sued. Um, and honestly, you know, Remoa is very well known for that particular design, which is striped, the striped steel case design. Why didn't anyone bother from legal, from, from wherever, whoever decided to use the case? Why didn't someone tell someone before they decided on that design or if we decided to, uh, to at least buy, think about buying that, yeah. that design? I, I think it's, you know they'll be fine. They've got uh, they've got a uh, Bruce Banner as the lawyer, so <laughs> you don't want to make him angry. <laughs> oh, another mention. I think Incredible Hulk is also in that set. The second one, I think. Both I of think. them, or? Oh uh, no, I think the one with with Edward Norton. Yeah. Okay. Was that Edward Norton? Yes, that was Edward Norton as a Hulk. Yes. Yeah. I think that one's in the set. But yeah, um, 
you know, is that going to stop people from buying? Is that going to stop people from buying the movies? Of course not. I mean, it's the Avengers are crying out loud. It's like the most successful movie ever made. Uh, if you're if you're a comic book freak, um, so is they're going to. Is there any kind of price estimate on this? Um, I can check Amazon if you would give me a second. I'm sure you will cut this part out anyway. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's got to be super expensive. Let me. Oh crap! I found it. Let me, uh, it is currently available for pre-order on Amazon for $139.96 US dollars. Well, that's not too bad. So it's not too bad. I mean, six movies. And of course, the case isn't real metal. It's not real Remoa. Yeah. Um, if it's a real Remoa case, it would be about 10 times that expensive. Um, but yeah, I mean, people, I, I'm sure Disney is not, is, 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 is smart enough to settle the whole issue before they have to, you know, change the whole design and, and reprint everything and, and, you know, not deliver so um, I'm sure everything get resolved. Um, yeah, hmm. and uh, people will still buy it, and uh, it's gonna be a very nice set. And uh, I think I hear that Kozo is going to buy it, so I look forward to seeing how it looks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's nice, but I've already got the movies. Yes, I already have the movies as well. So all I'm buying is the uh, the Avengers, but uh, but it is um, very tempting. Uh, and if you haven't bought the movies, it's a very nice set to have. Yeah, if you haven't got the movies, I mean, why not? But if you've already yes, got them. It's not really going to fit well on the shelf. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you you are the, what are they called? The the steel box guy, right? I'm the steel box man, I suppose. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, so you've got, like, the, you've got those to deal with as well. Yeah, and I like my Thor steel book, and I got my Avengers steel book on pre-order, and I like those steel books. So yeah. uh, I don't think I'll, and it won't fit on the shelf. Come on, let's yeah. face it. All collectors have to face this. Is how is that damn thing gonna fit under shelves? It's, it's not. not. So yeah, I'm not even thinking about it. Maybe if it came with a real tesseract, <laughs> or a real Remoa case. Yeah. Uh, well, you could always buy a Remoa case and just put everything inside. <laughs> that's a little bit too much. All right, uh, I think that's all our news for this week. So let's move on to talk about some films. All right, so we have two uh, East Screen films to talk about this week. Uh, up first is the latest feature from uh, Tony Lang uh, called The Silent War. Um, now, this is a film that is sort of set... It, it starts out in, if I remember correctly, uh, right in 1949. This is sort of the cusp or the eve uh, period of the uh, nationalists, the KMT, losing power in mainland China and the rise of the Communist Party to take control of China and the Chinese government. Um, now, the film, when it opens, it opens actually in Hong Kong, and there's a little bit of a, of sort of a, uh, a little bit of espionage going on. And it's not really clear what's happening at that time, but um, very quickly the film then moves, advances forward in time a little bit to Shanghai, and it is there that we start to learn a little bit more um, about the main characters. Now, uh, Tony Lung plays a character named Hubbing, and he is uh, the assistant of a piano tuner. And he is blind, legally, I, I guess you'd say, because uh, he can, as they por portray him in the film, he can still see shadows a little bit, but technically he's legally blind. Um, and he's got basically super hearing. I mean, we're talking like, as, as our friend Kozo mentioned, daredevil style <laughs> hearing. Because uh, he can really kind of get around, and he can he can 
fine-tune his hearing and pinpoint sounds, even when there's like a lot of commotion. Um, he can pick out specific voices in a crowded, a noisy room. He can be out on the street with cars and horns and people, you know, banging metal, and he can uh, hear very uh, precise sounds of things going on around him. Uh, it's because of this skill that he is sought out by Zhou Shun's character, uh, who's called uh, uh, Chang Suening, and she is a secret agent. Um, for, you know, for lack of a better term, she's like the James Bond of this period. She works. Um, she works for an agency. Uh, what was the agency called? Seven hundred one. Seven hundred one. Yes. Yeah. Which is sort of um, uh, a code. Br- they're they're sort of like the the CIA or uh, the the super spy agency of the Chinese Communist Party of that time. And one of the big things that they're in charge of doing is trying to break the codes of the resistance or the terrorists, as they'd be labeled today, who are sort of um, ex-loyalists to the KMT. And uh, they are doing things like staging assassinations of high-level leaders, um, you know, blowing up uh, tactical targets and things like this. So... Her department, her her group, is in charge of trying to break the codes that these groups use to sort of get in touch with each other. In the modern era, it would be like you know people trying to track people down on Twitter and and uh, you know and, and on the various or Weibo, right, trying to find out where the dissidents are. But during this period, the way that these codes were sent is they were sent over different radio frequencies as Morse code. Um, and the codes could be hidden within very specific signal bands, and they could be very difficult to hear. So that is why she is her her mission is to go out and track down. Um, originally, they think it's this um, this this uh, piano tuner uh, expert, but it turns out whose his name was Lo uh, Lo Saner, if I remember correctly. But he's not. She she quickly figures out he's not the. The real master he's not the guru it's his assistant who's tony lung and so she takes him back and they use his super hearing to isolate all of these different frequencies there's about 120 of them uh that the enemy uses to try and transmit their their messages in the course of all this um the two characters sort of have a uh a back and forth kind of semi-romance um uh, but for various reasons, uh, Zoshan's character keeps a distance from Tony Lung's character, um, which in turn leads him to striking up a relationship with another uh, decryptor in the department, um, played by Mavis Fan. Uh, and so the two of them start a relationship. So the film sort of shifts between the espionage aspect of what's going on and this relationship. Uh, between these three characters um, and sort of his affection for the Zoshan character, her rejection of him, and then his relationship that develops with, with Mavis Fan. Um, that sort of sets the basis for the, the, the length of the film. It's about a two, hour, uh, two hours in its entirety. Um, as a film, it has a really solid, entertaining first half um, as it sort of takes you through this world of espionage, it introduces you to these characters. Uh, it introduces you to Tony Lung and and his abilities and what he can do. The latter part, I felt it really sort of started to drag out. Um, it, it struggled to sort of 
figure out what story it wanted to tell. Um, the other problem, too, is the, the, the talent that Tony Lung has. I mean, his character is kind of superhuman uh, in a portrayal. You know, we joked saying that he's kind of like, you know, Matt Murdock or Daredevil uh, from Marvel Comics, but he kind of is. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost to the point where it's totally not realistic, some of the things he can do. And he, the fact that he's using, you know, hearing aids from the 1950s, which are not that, you know, technically great in, in comparison, but he can still do these amazing things. Um, uh, for me, I think if they would have gone with a little bit more realism, it, it might have better fit the tone that they were trying to go with for this espionage. Uh, the leads are all fine. We've seen Tony Lung and Zoshan paired off before, um, or just earlier this year. In fact, they were paired off in, in The Great Magician. There is a chemistry there um, that, that I think can work for the two characters. I don't know if it was as strong here uh, as it could have been, um, but I think that that's not really the fault of the, the actors themselves. I think it was more the pacing and, and, and the script that I felt I had some problems with. Um, and, and that leads to my other problem with the film is that some of the plot points were not always clear. Um, I don't want to spoil it too much, but right in the beginning of the film, like when you first meet Zoshan's character, she's got an assignment. And as a result of this assignment, a character gets stabbed, right? Like right at the start. And then later that character shows up in a very important position. I mean, moments later, and you thought, well, wait a minute, didn't that person just die? And it's never really clear what exactly happened or why it happened. You can make some some guesses, and after the film we were talking about it, and we were sort of guessing, uh, you know, about it. Um, but there are moments like that that happen in a couple places where things are not entirely clear as to what is the meaning or, or what are they trying to tell us that's going on here. Um, Tony Lung himself, too, kind of just being Tony Lung, you know, if you're, if you're used to seeing him as sort of his wise, cracking, snarky character that comes off as a little bit charming, you saw a little bit of this in, in The Great Magician, you've seen it in other roles that he's done, he's kind of doing that same thing here, not a huge range, we've also seen him play a blind character before in The Sound of Colors, <laughs> so uh, he's, he's kind of treading familiar ground a little bit here, um, and it's not really a big stretch for him. Uh, I think that the characters played by, you know, that were played by both Zoshan and Mavis Fan were much more intriguing, and I wanted to learn much more about them and why, um, you know, the, the some, some of the meaning behind their relationship as it as it's established with Tony Lung's character, but we never really get that from the film. Um, every time we start to get into a little bit of that, we're taken back to into espionage mode. Um, and that's another one of the problems that I had a little bit and, and some of the other members of our movie group had mentioned as well is that it's kind of hard to make people sitting at a radio station listening to sounds, especially Morse code, uh, exciting, right? That's kind of very hard to do visually. Uh, the one film that popped in my mind was The Lives of Others, uh, the European film about um, surveillance, which does a really great job. But again, even then you're dealing with people listening in on conversations for a lot of times. Here, it's Morse code. It's the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. You know, that doesn't really translate out into a lot of good visual material. Um, so that part of it was kind of a little bit uh, under underplayed, I think. I think they could have done more with that. 
um, through some other kind of visual means. Um, thankfully, and surprisingly, there's no real rah-rah nationalism in this film. Though the film is set in the <clears throat> communist period, and you know it, the, 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 the protagonists here are very much on the communist side, and they're fighting against um, what would be labeled as KMT extremists, it's not doing a lot of flag waving. It's not, you know, really uh, promoting some ideological agenda. It's simply a, a story that's set in this time period. And I was very thankful for that, you know, because it comes across in that sense as a, a nice fictional piece that tells a story and that doesn't seem to have an agenda. Some people might still read an agenda into it, I didn't see it there. I didn't feel it there. And I was very thankful for that. Um, as I said, it does start in 1949 in Hong Kong. It moves to Shanghai and, and other parts of China. Um, and it stays for most of the film in, in mainland China. Zoshan herself, a bit of a James Bond character. Like I said, her, her agent number is 200 or 200 instead of 007, right? <laughs> um, and Not much of a memorable number, no. Yeah. Um, we, like I said, I would have liked to learn more about her and her, and her backstory. Um, and, and that for me, that's in, in, in the latter half, things got a little bit muddled, but overall, I'd say if you're interested in espionage, if you're interested in the 1950s China period, especially something that's not along the lines of say the founding of the Republic or, uh, beginning of the great revival, but s simply a straightforward, uh, sort of narrative, uh, see it. Uh, otherwise, if you're not really that interested in it, but you kind of like Tony Long, you kind of like Zoshan, I'd say you can wait till it hits video and TV it. Kevin? Um, Paul, I, I can't help but read an agenda, actually, because, I mean, let's face it, the spy, the spy espionage genre is nothing new in China. Uh, a lot of many um, uh, TV series, and, and of course, it's based on a big novel called Plot Against by Mai Jia. This is only the first of three chapters or three parts of the novel. This is only the first part uh, of that novel. And um, you have to read his agenda because you cannot do an espionage series that um, with the KMT as protagonist. So, well, you could. You no, could no, in China, if it was, you can't. If it was, well, in China, you can't. But I mean, if this, in China, this is can't. about perspective, right? This is about. Yes you know, um, history being determined by, by the victors. In this case, the victors were, you know, the, the, the Communist Party. If a Taiwan film were being made, it w I'm sure it would be done from the opposite perspective, right? And I'm, I think... The thing is, the irony, the irony is that, the irony is that um, even now Taiwanese films have to think about getting to China, so not you, you won't even get a Taiwanese <laughs> film about the KMT because they have to worry about getting into China, so well, even they yeah, can't make that, a that, that's, that's a good point. Um, but, yes, but I, I mean, f for me, it was just the idea that, you know, it is being told from the perspective of the victor, just like, a, you know, a, a story about World War II is going to portray the Americans typically as heroic, right? And and that's where you get, you know, the the movies of the 1950s and the 1960s and 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 things like that. Today, you might get a much more balanced film, you know, a film yeah. like uh, a Saving Private Ryan or something. But you go back and you look at, at the old war, you know, like the Dirty Dozen and stuff. Um, it was always very much rah-rah, um, you know, sort of U.S. Not not really nationalism, but the, the idea of heroism, the U.S. is the victor. For me, this is kind of in, in that same that same idea. It's like, okay, we were the heroes. We get to be the good guys. 
kind of an idea. Yeah. But it's not that in your face with it, really. At least it for me. Politic- yes, it, it it is not a politicized film. You're yeah. right. Not as much as say, um, uh, Founder Republic or 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 you know like um, what we're thinking. Um, uh, Beginning of Great Revival. But of course, uh, we talk about espionage film. Of course, uh, I would think that personally, I prefer the bad guys to be Japanese. <laughs> you know, like like in. <laughs> Actually, this is this this is based on a novel that's uh from the same novelist who gave us the message. Mm. So yes, the the comparison there is, is I think is valid. Um, but anyway, this is obviously that uh, one for you know for the mainland Chinese audience than for us. Even though the film is from uh, Alan Mack and Felix Chong, the the writer, the writing team who brought us uh, Inferno Affairs and Confessions of Pain and uh, Overheard, um, which gave us the greatest Michael Wong scream ever. Of course, we can't ignore that. Uh, but yes, it's clearly there. There. Wait, wait. Do, do, do you mean this scream? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Any chance to play it? <laughs> I did it on purpose. Yes. Um, but yeah, these. This is, so this is uh, their 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 biggest. Uh, uh, how do I say? Um, effort in mainland Chinese film uh, since the Lost Placement. Um, it. It could have been, I think it could have been a strong spy thriller. I think they had the right elements, especially when they're talking about hunting. There's a plot in the second half, they talk about hunting hunting down a spy codenamed Chong Ching, um, which is kind of weird considering the current events, to name your bad guy Chong Ching. Um, look it up if you look up Bo Lai, if you know who I'm talking about. Um, but anyway, yes, it could have been a strong spy thriller. It had all the elements there, but it kind of settles into some kind of big Big, I don't know, because the film, the first half of the film, like you said, uh, Paul, is quite strong. It's about you know, um, there's a clear um, dilemma, there's a clear intention. It's about um, hubbing trying to find the missing, the missing uh, radio channels that the KMT might be hiding, and there's a clear um, intention there. But the whole thing is soft, you know, like 45 minutes in the movie, and then it kind of settles into its groove, and then it stops being all that compelling because um, it. It kind of wants to be a romance, but then it goes back to espionage, but then it goes back to romance. It doesn't really know. But the romance isn't well-developed because they're so busy with the espionage stuff, but the espionage stuff, they're not, it's not really that well-crafted. Um, so it kind of it doesn't really quite hit either way. Um, and, you know, it's like I said, like we were talking about just now, it's not really a politicized film, but if you're like the KMT, this is not going to be a film that suits your politics. Um if you don't like the Communist Party, this is not a film that will suit your politics. Uh, they do demonize the KMT like the bad guys, but of course, Paul makes a good point um, that the, 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 the Communists were the victors, and this is made from the perspective of the victors. So if you try to take out, just you know, block out all images of the PLA, block out the rah-rah, it, it does have a finale that has a rah-rah communist message personally. Uh, but of course, uh, it's not really like, hey, like the Communist Party, but it's more kind of casual, like rah-rah communists. Um, block out those images and the film will just be, you know, your typical espionage movie. Um, the Cantonese dub, and I have to, have to you know, uh, note this, the movie was shot in Mandarin. Uh, most of the actors speak Mandarin. Even Tony spoke Mandarin on set, even though the Mandarin version will not have his voice because he doesn't speak perfect mandarin the cantonese stuff does feature tony learn and the directors are actually quite clever in ad-libbing dialogue that are different from the mandarin version the cantonese version ha- features a very snarky tony and um ha- has i think at least a good quarter of his dialogue are ad-libbed that are different from the from the uh 
the dialogue we see in the subtitles and the Mandarin dialogue. Hmm. Um, it doesn't quite match the film because you have, you know, Tony doing the modern snarky Tony. Um, it, it points is almost like he's talking in a Wang Jing film or something. But um, the Hong Kong audience loved it. I think they were laughing and whenever he said like one of these Hong Kong um, Cantonese lines and it's actually quite amusing. But sadly, it is not reflected in the subtitles because they did the subtitles with the Mandarin dialogue. Hmm. Um, so yes, this is something that us Cantonese speakers are thankful for. Um, Joe Shun, of course, is always good. Um, Mavis Fan is okay. Doesn't have much to do here because of the material. Um, cast is okay. And Tony, like you said, it's okay, but it's not yeah, really great. I think uh, I spotted Carrie Ng in there. In a yes, Carrie Ng. Plays, Carrie Ng and Harry Fong um, as, as some of the people. Uh, I don't want to ruin it, but yes, a possible target, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so good, good seeing them. Uh, I guess carrying is better than even though carrying. I don't think carrying dubbed her own voice, which is very strange. Mm. But um, anyway, like Tony, Tony could do better. I mean, her kiss character isn't all that compelling. I think, I think that he was kind of he kind of plays like this, this guy who's duped into the situation. And he's always being led instead of leading anything. So he's he's not a very strong um, uh, lead character. I think Joe Shun is a much better lead character, but Tony is Tony, so you have to give the movie Tony. Um, there are better things that could be done here. Like I said, there are elements of certain things. Uh, the romance could have been developed much better. It could have been this big espionage romance, you know, like Casablanca here, but they couldn't quite find a balance. Uh, and it makes me wonder whether the filmmakers were held back by the by the source material because the author is still alive and well, he's only like forty or fifty, so he's around. So I'm not sure who who. Um, who is holding them back, if anything, if anyone? Uh, but it did felt like that a little bit. Um, it's not a remarkable movie. It's not terrible. But I don't think it's particularly good. It has a lot of problems. And for a film in which sound plays a very huge part, the sound mix was way bad. Very mm. bad. Um, it was way too soft. Um, the dialogue is soft. In fact, when we were watching, I think we were watching it next to a screen that was playing The Bourne Legacy. And they were playing the, the ending, the finale, the chase in the finale of a motorcycle, and we could hear that chase, and we kept wondering if that was atmospheric sound, or if that was if that was like the next house. I mean, I knew it was the next house, but I was like, why is Tony being surrounded by motorcycles? I thought somebody was watching Speed Angels on their phone. Because <laughs> <laughs> they got bored or something. And I actually could hear the children in the front of me. I think they were being bored. They were bored or something. I could hear them, and they were yeah. way they were on the other side of the theater. There, there was one, like an old lady behind us. I want to say like three quarters of the way into the film, she just let a huge sigh. Yes, I think mean, she was a big yawn. Yeah. It was like very, very a dynasty moment there. That was um, funny. And the problem is the film was w- played way too soft, and it's, and you can tell it's not the theater's problem because at points the sound would be the volume would be okay, you know, with like the volume with the music up and you know going, but everything else is 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 mixed way too softly, and perhaps it's my film school talk. Or, you know, but as a film goer, I was, it's not really something that would inspire me to go watch this film theatrically. So I can only say TV it because it's not very good theatrical, mm. I think. Um, otherwise, have you seen enough of these espionage things? It's nothing new. Uh, it just has a bigger cast and it looks nicer, but it's re- remarkably unremarkable for a Tony Leung movie, I think. And from the directors or from people who bought you the Inferno Affairs series. Well, how would you compare it with um, The Great Magician? since we've got the same two leads. Yeah, but I mean, The Great Magician is, wants to be a comedy. Um, and 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 it does have Lao Ching one. Yeah, that's true. So it benefits from that. But, uh, but if you talk about espionage, and since it's the same author, I think the message is a much stronger film. And 
Um, yeah, I would, agree. I would agree with to, that. I like yeah, the it doesn't have to, And it doesn't have the burden of having to uh, depoliticize itself. Hmm. It, has a, it has a very clear, you know, me as far as Japanese. And I think even then the, the, the morality is kind of gray there. And I think it's a much more compelling film. All right. Let us move on and talk about our second East Screen film for this week. Uh, and that is the latest from Pang Ho Chung called Vulgaria. Now, Kevin, you've I've seen this once. You've seen it like three times. So why yes. don't you give us the rundown on Vulgaria? Sure. Uh, Vulgaria is marks the return of Pan Ho Chun uh, back to Hong Kong. Um, he made this film very quickly. He was kind of t- I guess he, was, he got kind of burned out making films in, in Beijing, Love in the Buff in Beijing, and, and dealing with the people there. So he came back to Hong Kong and made this film very quickly. I think he announced that he was making this film back in December. He shot it. He had a 12-day shooting schedule. I'm not sure if it was 12 consecutive days, but he shot this movie for 12 days. Uh, much of it was improvised and didn't have a script. Very much a Hong Kong spirit kind of movie. Um, the film is stars and is produced by Chapman To, who plays um, a film producer named To Wai Chen. Uh, the film is, is framed around uh, a talk that he does at a university. And he talks about the sacrifices he's made as a producer, uh, in particular, uh, this one project um, that, that is the center of this film here. Um, he, he is uh, brought into a project by uh, a produce, his producer friend, played by Simon Lui. And, um, Ooh, can I say it was great to see Simon Lui? I don't know what the yes. last movie I saw him in was. But yes. I was so happy to see him in, 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 a, in a pretty big role. Yep, Simon Lui, uh, back and natural. And uh, apparently there was someone uploaded a, a clip of Simon Lui and Chapman Toe first together in a movie called Paramount Hotel. Back in 1999, where mm. Simon Lui plays a plays a tough ass um, police captain, and and Chapman Toe plays his little lackey who gets who gets kicked around. So it's quite amusing now seeing Chapman Toe as the boss and Simon Lui as a supporting actor, kind of jumping in and 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 being Chapman's buddy. Uh, but anyway, yes, Simon Lui uh, ho- hooks um, Toei Chan up uh, with uh, Tyrannosaurus, a gangster from Guangxi who made his money from sell- smuggling golden turtles and. Um, after a particular um, traumatic banquet, um, finally Tyrannosaurus uh, agrees to 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 invest in a film produced by Toei Chen, and apparently this guy wants to remake Confessions of a Concubine. It's a 1978 uh, Shaw, not Shaw Brothers, uh, independent um, erotic film starring Susan Shaw. Uh, I just saw Confessions of a Concubine last last week, actually, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. But uh, yes, it is a but the problem is that Tyrannosaurus wants Suyum Yum to play the role a lead again, even though Suyum Yum is like seventy. So, so the the rest of the movie is about um, Toei Chun's um, effort to try and get this film remade, trying to get Suyum Yum to jump on on board. Um, his his kind of romance with uh, a model, a Lambo named Popping Candy, who uh, who has a very legendary skills that uh, apparently many people know, and it's also based on a real character. Um, and and other things. Many essentially it's about movie making. Um, yes, I have seen this movie three times now. Um, I first saw it at the Hong Kong International Film Festival, the world premiere. So of course the the atmosphere was great because everyone was buzzed and 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 excited. Uh, I've seen it two more times in the past weekend uh, with a normal audience. And even then, um, and I will and I will repeat what I said on Twitter. Paul. I have been going to the Dynasty Theater, you know, um, five years. A 900-seat theater, run down, you know, people don't usually, you know, they don't even make a sound. They talk and they smoke and they talk on the phone, but they don't actually respond to the movie. This is the first time I've heard an audience at a dynasty clap at a joke. 
I am not kidding. This is the first mm-hmm. time I've seen them react. Uh, it was a very big crowd, and I guess, as we can expect from a Category 3 film, and they were lapping it up. Um, it was quite surprising. So that tells you how much, if, if anything, it indicates that the, like, the locals are liking this movie. Um, but if you're a Pilot Turn fan, fan like I am, don't expect anything new here, especially if you've seen AV and You Shoot, I Shoot. This is kind of like a third com- third film in that sort of, line it's about the pains of filmmaking uh makes it with a lot of sex jokes and vulgarity and things like that of course it's the first category three film out of those three films and the only difference is way more Cantonese curse work i thought av um, was category three no it was 2b yes okay. the story is that the story is that pano chan uh screened the film film for the tela at on a monday morning and somehow got away with getting a 2b hmm. because it was monday morning that's that's the joke. That's what he, the story he he told in the commentary. But yes, that movie is to be. This is, uh the the big difference here, and uh the big difference here is the curse words. You don't get to see much of the remake of Confessions of the Concubine. I think they call it the Confessions of Two Concubines. Here, um, you don't get to see anything from that movie. Sorry, kind of a spoiler. I will have to tell you that it is a very vulgar movie, but all that vulgarity is mostly verbal. Um, it is not going to be the most vulgar film you will ever see. Uh, even though the, t- the, the title hypes you up. I was kind of checking out Sex and Zen 2. Don't ask why. But that movie, one, the, the curse words are, are worked in way more naturally. And just the sex scenes itself make it a much more vulgar film. Um, and also, unlike, you know, really good vulgar comedies. You know, I'm talking about, you know, like Something About Mary or even um, um, those exploitation stuff that Shaw Brothers made. Um, this movie is way too concentrated on one central joke. Yeah. And you will know by now what that joke is. Probably we read anything, um, something to do with animals. And it, it the whole thing is revolves way too much. They mentioned it, and I've seen, you know, the three times I've seen it, they revolve around that joke way too much. I think uh, they don't kind of naturally work in the vulgarity. It feels like a lot of it was vulgar for vulgarity's sake. Like um, there's a Jim Chim cameo that where he does a whole monologue about the stranger. If you know what the stranger is, don't ask me why I know this title, but I've heard about a stranger a long time ago, so when it shows up here, it's not a big, big, big surprise. And the problem is, it felt like it was worked in rather than being a natural part of the film or part of the comedy. It felt like, oh, here we got to do this gag with Jim Chim here. He's got to do this monologue about the stranger. So it, it's, uh, it, it, it feels a little forced in. Nevertheless, is it funny? Is Bulgari a funny film? Yes. It is very funny. It has a lot of creative Cantonese cursing. Um, the subtitles only partially does it justice. Um, and it's a very, very funny. I still laugh very loudly at it, and it's still a lot of many jokes. Um, and in relative terms, it is one of the best Hong Kong films of the year, and pretty much one of the most Hong Kong films in, in recent years. Um, but I'm very afraid that it's starting to get overrated. Um, you know, it got a lot of festival love, and, and, and it's going to make 10 million Hong Kong dollars in the end of by tomorrow, probably at the end of the first week. It's going to be one of the biggest hits of the year, which... Weird, strangely, now makes Pan Ho Chun the most commercially successful Hong Kong director this year. You told me this even two years ago, I would have laughed at your face. And you know, it's really weird now. This this low budget category free comedy is now one of the biggest Hong Kong hits of the year, and it is very close to getting overrated. Um, so I'm a little afraid of that, but it's still a very funny movie. Uh, Chairman To, Siom Yum, and even Lemo Dada Chan are good. Um, but really, the guy who steals, and like you said, Simon Loy also welcome, welcome, welcome back. Uh, Hiro Hayama also very funny. A lot of second Zen, 3D second Zen jokes there that you have to watch it to understand. Um, but this is 
for Ronald Chang, this is going to be the role, I think, that would define his career. His jokes right now, his, his gags, his big gags are being quoted, are traveling a lot of places. He is going to be the most remembered, I think, character of the film. And I think if Ronald Chang has even if Ronald Chang has a long acting career coming up in the future, this will be I think this will be the film that defines that comedy career. And he is that good, I think. Hmm. Um, even though he's only in it for three scenes, but he makes such an impression, I think, that he will be the most remembered character of the film uh, for years to come. Um, like I said, even though it has this this movie does have a lot of problems. Um, I would much rather Pang Wuxian makes make more of these movies than more Love and the Buff China friendly movies. Um, honestly, I prefer even if this is flawed, uh, even if Love and the Buff is better, I would much prefer him make something you know that's truly local and and you know what the few that you know takes up a cost. I hate to say you know filmmaking shouldn't be about you know like a cost shouldn't be you know driven by any kind of cost, but. Yes, I would prefer Pang Wuxian to make these kind of movies because it feels much more comfortable here than, say, something like in Beijing. Yeah. So um, if you're a Hong Kong film fan and you love vulgar comedies, I would say see it. If you're afraid of, you know, jokes about animals and animals and things like that, and, and of course, you know, dick, piss, and fart jokes, yeah, um, you may want to avoid it. Of course. <laughs> Paul? All right. Um, I'm going to spoil one thing here. So if you absolutely want no spoilers, this isn't a major spoiler, and Kevin kind of already touched on this. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to spoil one thing. This is a Category 3 film with no nudity. None. Zero. Uh, the closest thing we get is we do get a brawless Dada Chen in one scene where she's playing the Wii. But I'm like, come on. If you're going to go to the trouble to make this a Category 3 film, go for all of the Category 3 humor. I was expecting this you know, I knew this was going to be vulgar, and I knew it, a lot of it going in was about the language. But I was really expecting this sort of how, how Dream Home was his take on the slasher, you know, the, the slasher thriller film. I thought this was going to be his take on, like, the Sex and Zen film and, and, and the, the basically the Hong Kong Category 3 genre. I thought he was going to go for broke and I was disappointed that he didn't go that far. Um, I was, I was, I was really kind of disappointed that it didn't, it, 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 it it didn't push the boundaries like I expected it to. Um, Now that being said, I'm not saying this is by any means a bad film, but I was just thinking it was going to be so much more than it, than it actually was. Um, Especially with the category three rating. Now, and this really points to, I think, the, and we've talked a little bit about this before, it points to the censorship in Hong Kong and the way things have changed since, um, you know, the, the, the 80s and 90s. Um, you know, I was, I'm, I'm watching a, I'm watching a film, um, Yester, Yester You, Yester Me, Yesterday, which uh, I picked up because uh, the guys over at Podcast on Fire uh, talked about it a couple episodes back and I wanted to see it again. And I mean, like the stuff they're doing in that film is kind of, you know, today would be a category three and it's not anywhere near a category three, uh, back in its day. And that's just sort of how, how conservative the cinema industry has become. But, you know, I'm thinking you're going to get the category three any, anyway, go for it. 
you know, just go for it. I, I, you, you mentioned that they don't really show the film. I was totally expecting to see the film or, 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 or segments of it somehow. The trailer, at least. Something, yes. yes. Um, and I was just, that was the biggest letdown. It's still, you know, um, it, it's still okay. I mean, you know, yeah, there's there there's the, the running gag. I won't spoil the running gag, but uh, if you look at the poster, you'll pretty much figure it out. That goes on forever. And they do come back to that in a post-credits thing, so you got to stay... Um, you know, through the credits a little bit to get to get to that. Um, you've got Data Chen. Her her name is her her Langmo name. Her 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 model name is Popping Candy because she does this this gag. Um, that's you've it, it's kind of been done before. You've seen this kind of thing done before if you've seen films like Naked Ambition. It's a variation on that, but again, that's not new, not really fresh. Um, it's still a very funny look at film and filmmaking itself and for that i really i really appreciate director pang's look at stuff that's why i really love you shoot i shoot and and you know when he does stuff like av and this and he's really making a film about making film that's the part that i really relate to um so if you enjoy those films i think you'll really enjoy this film some people have said that this is very much a linguistic film though because you're right it does a lot of like especially for um you know ronald cheng's role i mean it's a lot about the language and about the mannerisms and if you're just going by the subtitles alone it can be kind of hard to to get it um my cantonese is certainly far from completely fluent but i'm just on that borderline where i got quite a bit of the humor um that was being done with the language and so it's a good film to bring you up on foul can canto slanguage, if that's a word. Slanguage? Slang? Language? I don't know. Um, yeah, so if you're really somebody who's who's interested in Cantonese and, and what the latest, what some of the latest phrases and sayings might be out there, um, they do have some funny word plays. Fiona Sit is in this as well. We didn't mention her. She plays his assistant, and he's got a what I thought was one of the better scenes with her and with Miriam Young. Uh, midway through the film that's that's very funny and sort of revolved around language that i really liked um he also you know, crystal teen plays his wife ironically enough right um yeah. and ex-wife ex-wife yeah well yeah his ex-wife and they're separated and and he has a daughter and the, the i really wanted to see more from the daughter because you know you're talking about a guy maybe this is my own personal prejudice now too i i, I started realizing that you're talking about a guy who has a daughter who's doing films that objectify women, right? And I wanted to see more of that that kind of a, that kind of a, a an idea of how he positions his relationship with his daughter with that. They kind of touch on it, but they don't really get that deep into it. And I know this is just very much from my own perspective, but the whole time I'm just thinking of the old, the, the old Chris Rock joke that some of you've probably heard um, from his stand-up comedy. And this is the only thing that I think about today. And I'm going to play this clip from Chris Rock. But uh, I got a little baby girl, right? And it's amazing when you have a girl. You're, you're a man. You have a, a girl. I'm eye-opening. Because I realize I'm the man in her life. And my relationship with my daughter is going to affect her relationship with men for the rest of her life. And every man in here 
is dated a woman with some daddy issues. <laughs> that shit ain't fun, okay? She giving you a hard time over some shit her daddy did in 1969, okay? That shit ain't never fun. Sometimes I'm walking with my daughter, I'm talking to my daughter, I'm looking at her, I'm pushing her and stole her, and sometimes I pick up and I just stare at her and I realize my only job in life is to keep her off the pole. <laughs> Keep my baby off the pole. I mean, they don't grade fathers, but if your daughter's a stripper, you fucked up. <laughs> yeah, so that's. I, I hate to say it. One of my high school, one of my high school classmates did become a stripper. Yeah, I'm saying. Uh, no, saying. You know, nothing against strippers, but I mean, now that I'm a father of a daughter, that's that's constantly running through my mind. That that joke of his, and of course, I was. As I was looking at Chapman's relationship with his daughter, and, and I'm thinking, how does he justify what he's doing? And, and even his, you know, sort of the, 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 the romantic relationship he builds up with, with Dada Chen, how, how does he position? And I know I'm probably thinking too deeply into it because this is supposed to be, you know, vulgar comedy. Uh, and it very much is so. Um, but still, I think there could have been a little bit more developed there perhaps i think if they did put that much effort you know this is a very actually there's one of the drier parts of the movie in the middle there if they spent that much time on the film on it in the film i think yes they should have considered a little more but they were rushing to finish the film and improvising the script the whole way and having this hong kong spirit and it forgot kind of the soul of the whole thing um but yeah it does you're right it does have that that sort of hong kong spirit um in, in many sense and i do appreciate the fact that this is very much a hong kong film that this is probably something to be very difficult to get screen time in, in mainland China uh, at all. And the gag that they do, you know, okay, it, it's there. Um, and it's, you, you'll either find it funny or, or you won't. Um, but they do kind of beat it into the ground. But basically, if you love Pang Ho Chung and you have a decent grasp of Cantonese, uh, I would say see it. A lot of people were talking about this film. I got into a pretty interesting conversation over with some folks on Google Plus talking about this film, and we started talking about, you know, our favorite Pang Ho Chung films, and people were mentioning different things. Some people liked uh, Exodus, Mine is Still You Shoot, I Shoot, it's, that still remains king for me. Uh, some people said, you know, what's your least favorite? Um, for me, that's Dream Home, not because it's a bad movie, just because it's a film I don't think I could ever watch again uh, because of its graphics. It's, it's a great movie, don't get me wrong, I said that when we reviewed it. Um, but that's, uh, of all of his films, I could probably watch them all again, except that one. Um, but this one, I, you know, it's, it's in the mix. It's in the mix. I, I wouldn't say it's at the top, it's certainly not at the bottom. Um, but it is very much a solid Hong Kong film, and I appreciate it for that. East Green, West Green. Oh my God, we're still going. Yeah, we're still going. <laughs> yes. Anyway, yes. One film to go. Um, yes. So yeah, the this this film is the latest from Pixar, and that is the film Brave. Uh, this is the story of um, you know a young girl named Princess Merida, uh, who's voiced by Kelly McDonald, and she is the daughter of King Fergus, uh, voiced by Billy Connolly, and her mother Queen Eleanor, uh, who's voiced by Emma Thompson. Um, she finds herself uh, under the auspices and the, the, the heavy hand of her mother, who is constantly trying to 
uh, mold her into a proper princess, but she wants to just basically be herself and go out and ride horses and uh, shoot her bow and arrow that was given to her uh, by her father and basically sort of be a little bit of a, you know, a rebel spirit, if you will. Um, but in order to unify the kingdom, it's decided that uh, she must marry one of the sons of the three other uh, clans. So, you know, this is sort of taking place in uh, ancient Scotland, uh, very much Scottish themes at work. And so the clans arrive and with their sons, and they're all competing in, in a, sort of these highland games for the princess's hand. Um, she decides that she's going to win her own hand, and so... Um, she enters into the archery contest, and uh, she beats the three boys, uh, hands down. It's not really a spoiler, because you can, if you've, you've seen any of the trailers, you've seen that. Um, which infuriates both the, the tribesmen, because now uh, they feel a bit slighted, and her mother, because she's not fulfilling her role to help uh, lead the kingdom. Uh, in a rage, she sort of runs off uh, out into the woods... And she stumbles across, um, uh, she, she follows some will-o'-the-wisps into the woods, and she finds a witch in a hut who offers her uh, a, a solution to her problems in the form of a magic potion. What does the magic potion do? Well, I don't want to spoil that much of the film, but that sets it up. It's really a mother-daughter story um, uh, that, that sor serves as sort of the core basis uh, for this film. Um, as with most Pixar films, it really looks great. They spent a lot of detail on her red curly hair. I think that's one of the uh, the big innovations that they came out. You know, Pixar has always been about animation innovations, and one of the things that they really uh, went full bore with was the design of the character's hair and her, you know, her her crimson locks, if you will. Um, but I have to say that for a Pixar film, this story was really disappointing for me. Um, and I hope this is not a trend, because we had Cars 2 last year. Sequel was okay, but I didn't think it was that great. And now this, and um, I think, what do we have, Monster University next year? I'm, you know, I'm hoping that will pick things up, but I st I'm starting to sense the hand of Disney here, a very heavy hand. Um, we have yet another spunky princess. How many times have we seen this character type? Um, you know, she doesn't want to fit into the mold that she's been given. She's a rebel. She uh, breaks from the norm, right? She doesn't fit in. She wants to do her own thing. Um, and the other problem I had is that the plot kind of borrows from an earlier 2003 2D Disney film that I won't name here because I think it would really spoil um, a key plot point of the film. But I'm, as I'm watching this and, and I'm seeing what's happening, I'm going, wait a minute, this... I've, We've kind of already seen this film, um, and and I'm really surprised that this is coming from Pixar. I mean, Pixar, I, I tend to associate with a lot of innovation, especially with story and storytelling, um, and, and that only sort of highlighted my disappointment. Major plot points were very, very predictable all the way through, and I've really never really felt that way with um, a lot of Pixar titles like WALL-E or Up or even The Incredibles. I mean... Um, this just didn't feel very fresh to me for some reason. It really felt more like it was a Disney animation than a Pixar animation. Um, it, I, I would say that this is still a, you know, it's still a good film. Um, I, I, I may sound like I'm bashing it. It's fun for young kids, but 
adults, I think it 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 lacks something. It doesn't seem to have the 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 same level of narrativity to it. Um, I was kind of bored in it, honestly, and I've never been bored in a Pixar film, even Cars Two, which I didn't think was great, but I wasn't bored in it because it had some hidden humor there for me. Um, this one I felt was kind of just not really there. It was, it was, it was. It was just not it's not at the same level. I actually enjoyed the short film that came uh, before this a lot more than I, I did with this one. Um, but, you know, it's still a Pixar film. It's still got a lot of quality to it. Um, it's just, it seems a little bit like it's rehashed material. Um, so with that in mind, I'd say it's a solid TV. It. Uh, Kevin? Yes, you did. there's a second year in a row where the... Um in a Pixar film in which the, the preceding short film has more magic and more wonder and more, um, even more, let's say emotional undertone than, than the actual feature film. It's true. Um, I enjoyed La Luna more so than Brave, even though actually I, I did like Brave. Uh, of course it has great animation, um, but it has a very light story. Um, even when Pixar is using its first heroine, the, the first female, female protagonist, um, for some reason, um, I thought it would go further. I thought it would go bigger. I thought it would be an adventure. You know, a movie named Brave with a princess who likes to, who likes to, you know, do 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 warrior things. You know, more than girly things, and it's not an adventure. Uh, instead, it's a magical fable. Mm. Um, it is better than Cars Two, and but like you said, the story isn't really as as complex as the best Pixar films. Uh, there's a lot less complexity. I mean, for example, even Toy Story Three. I mean, let's face it. Uh, that movie's more for adults and kids. Kids watch that movie, they'd be traumatized if they know the undertone. <laughs> what it's about. I mean, let's face it, it, it's quite actually a traumatic film for kids. If they, That's true. Um, but yeah, it's less complexity. It's a very straightforward film. And I'm interested to know what what Disney film you're referring to. We're going to do this after the show. We're going to talk more about it. But um, I think girls would like this movie a lot. It's a very girl power movie. It's very much a Pixar chick flick, so to speak. Mm. Uh, not to not to offend any woman girls out there, um, but anyway, there's not much to say. I mean, it's it's good animation, as entertained, and the humor is good. Um, the father character is good. Um, the three kids, of course, they take over the 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 little cute kids character. I thought the three brothers were good. Um, they did their job, and I didn't think any were any other way they could they could be improved given what they were working with, but. The, the problem really lied in the story itself and what they were trying to do. Um, like I said, I know it's not what it is, but I thought it could go bigger, could go further, and you know, and it didn't really realize its potential. Um, still, I was fine. I was reasonably entertained. I saw it in 2D in English, and um, and that's actually the way, if you want to watch it in theater, that should be the way to see it in 2D and in English. Um, otherwise, um, yeah, you're right. It's, it's at the most a TV, I think. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could say more, but you know, yeah, in the end, it's really not. It's just that it's, exciting. It's, it, yeah. You know, it's, it's just something's missing. I I, I had yes. a hard time. Uh, the main thing that I got out of it, as I said when I came out of the theater, was did I just watch a Pixar film? Are are we sure this wasn't just you know Disney 3D animation? Um, because that's at the level you know not that Disney 3D animation is bad, but Pixar has always been. The quality's been so much higher, and this just feels like a step down for some reason. Yeah. The East is blue. Wait, what?
All right, so we have got one video pick this week. Uh, this is a weird, strange little movie I knew nothing about that I uh, came across. I was searching for something else. I think I was searching for a thousand years of good prayers or or some other um, uh, American Asian American film, and this came up as a related search. And I was like, "What? What is this?" And so I rented it uh, from iTunes. It is called American Fusion. Uh, this is a film from two thousand and five. Uh, directed by a director named Frank Lynn. I'm guessing this is his first sort of full-length feature release. Uh, he's only got five titles to his name uh, over on IMDb. Um, this stars Sylvia Chang. Yes, Hong Kong's very own Sylvia Chang from great films such as uh, the... Uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank. What's the Sam Hoy... Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
And he's like, what? I don't, I don't even, I don't even know how to speak Chinese. Why are you sending me to China? Um, so it's a lot of sort of like culture clashes going on within this, this uh, one family. Um, it's not, I mean, in the scope of Asian American films, especially films dealing with Chinese families, if you, and I'm thinking of, uh, some of Wayne Wang's films and whatnot, it's, it's not very grand on that scale, but it looks really nice. It's got some very good cinematography. Um, and it's just a cute sort of light story. Um, the interesting thing is that it sort of tells this relationship between, you know, between a, a Chinese American woman and a Latin American man, which is not something that you really see done a lot, quite, quite often. I mean, there are plenty of films out there that deal with the, um, you know, sort of the white male Chinese female romance. There's, there've been films with, um, Asian females and black males that I've seen before. This is the first one I can think of where it's sort of brought the Latin culture and the Chinese culture together. Um, again, the humor is light. It's, some people might find it offensive in places, mostly because of the perspective of the grandmother. So, for example, there's a scene where she goes in, she has to go and see the doctor, um, who's named Dr. Lee, and that's the reason she goes to see him, but it turns out he's African-American, he's not Chinese, he's just named Lee. And so when she envisions him, uh, instead of seeing him in his doctor's uniform, she sees him like as this gangster street guy, um, you know, speaking in, 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 sort of, in sort of a you know, rap-induced tones when talking about medical things. Um, some people might find that offensive. I think that what the directors and the writers were trying to do was to uh, look at, you know, sort of the, the cultural ways in which we can, you know, be isolated. So you might find it funny, you might not, depending on uh, if you like that style of humor. The amazing thing here is that seeing Sylvia Chang in a film here, I don't know, because this apparently was a new directorial debut for this director so I guess she's friends with the directors I don't know how he got her to be the star in this film um, but I think she does a really great role I think even though she's in her 40s she still looks good um, I think you know that the fact that you have a 40 year old woman as the leading lady here um, Isai Morales I mean he's a very handsome dude uh, he looks like you know a Latin George Clooney so what more do you want um, at first I didn't think they would work, they would match together, but I kind of bought it by the end. So, uh, if you're looking for something sort of fun, light and different, um, yeah, you might want to check out American Fusion, 2005 film. Never heard of it before. I'm amused that, that, yeah, the, the Fabio thing. And actually, I, I thought, I thought the dentist, the doctor thing sounds funny to me. Yeah, I mean, just go on iTunes and, and click the trailer link or look on YouTube and you'll see the, the whole wedding sequence. That's what they use for the trailer right there at the beginning. Um, and, you know, Sylvia Chung doing the whole film pretty much in English. It was, uh, it was great. All right, now it's time for this trailer. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, comments. We got a nice email uh, from a listener. He says, hello, Paul and Kevin. I'm so glad I bumped into your podcast after I was Googling for Asian cinema podcasts. My need for Hong Kong movie talk is finally satisfied. 
Uh, I gotta say, though, at first I was a little put off by the fact that you guys sound kind of emotional, emotionless, at least compared to other hosts. Which other hosts? I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'd like to know. Who's he comparing us to? Um, but no, there are there are quite a few hosts out there, and I'm sure that there are many that have more dynamic voices than I do. But no uh, one will do damn you, Lee Kashing, as good as me. Ah, uh, yes. Only Kevin can rap. Uh, so, but no, he says, he goes on to say, but as I listened to more and more episodes, I grew to like you, as in I enjoyed your hosting. Now I would rather define you guys as subtle. Oh, and your podcast has probably won a few of the best theme songs uh, to my taste. Well, um, I'm, I'm happy to be called subtle. That works for me. Uh, uh, you know, take, take take the compliments where I can get them. Uh, the theme song, all the credits for that go to, um, uh, depending on which ones we play, um, the, the original theme song, if, if you go to the period outside of when I was just using sort of the Apple loops, um, uh, the, the original theme song first goes to um, a gentleman who's now in Singapore, Singapore, and it's Mr. Fernando Gross. Uh, and you can simply search his name, and he does music commissions on the time. Our current theme song, though, is done by Mr. Rob Gobbers of Schnauzer Studios over in Europe. And uh, he does some really, really great work, and he's worked uh, for other podcasters as well, and that's how I got to know him. And um, I just loved the theme that he, he does for us now. So all the credit for that uh, goes to him. Uh, the email goes on. He says, anyway, back to my point. Is there any way you would talk about Derek Yee? Says I loved One Night in Moncock and Lost in Time. Thank you so much and keep it up. Kind regards, Andreas. Um, so thanks, Andreas. So we appreciate the email. Uh, we thank you for your your feedback and your your commentary. Um, of course, we do talk about Derek E from time to time. Uh, we mentioned him in the news today, talking about his uh, coming film. Uh, we talked about him a little bit. Um, the bullet vanishes. Uh, of course. Uh, we, I think last time we talked about him was uh, The Great Magician. Uh, what was that, back in January or February, Kevin? Um, yeah, yeah, back yeah. in February. So not, not too long ago, we, we talked a little bit about him. Um, I, I guess we could do a little bit more of an in-depth discussion of his body of work, and I think we'll maybe we can plan to do that on our next episode, uh, 120. What do you think, Kevin? Uh, yeah, or, well, I mean, it depends on how many films we have. I mean, August is a very packed month, and... Uh, also, I think we could wait till uh, when the bullet vanishes comes out because he is uh, both a very his excellent producer as well as a yeah printer. yeah sure um, oh, we'll, but we will we will we will definitely uh, take that request and we will work it into uh, our you know our program as soon as we have uh, the the time slots available to do so um, if not the next episode definitely when the bullet vanishes comes out I was mentioning to Kevin before the show that I actually just picked up a DVD of the Bachelor's Swan Song. Uh, today, starring Kenny B and Maggie Chung, uh, one of his early Derek Yee's earlier directorial films, and uh, there are some of his other films that I do need to catch up on. Like uh, I haven't seen The Lunatics. I think that was also an early film of his. I need to do let's see and go back and watch some other stuff. Of course, I think my favorite of his is still the Lao Ching Wan Anita Yun film, C'est la vie mon Um But yeah, I want to definitely. Uh, see some of the stuff I haven't seen, and I think we can come back and do a more in-depth discussion of his body of work as a whole. Uh, all right, I think that's going to do it, folks. Uh, of course, if you would like to be part of the show, you can always uh, head over to our website. That's Kongcast, K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you over on iTunes as well, if you'd like to drop by there and uh, 
drop us a review over at East Screen, West Screen. Just do a search and you'll find us. Um, we'd love to hear some feedback from you. Uh, things you'd like to see done differently, improvements to the show, things you like, things you hate, whatever. Uh, just let us know. Twitter, you can follow us at twitter.com. The show is twitter.com slash concast uh, for updates on what's going on with the program. Uh, to follow Mr. Ma, uh, twitter.com slash the golden rock, which I urge you to follow him. That's one word, the golden rock, because he's always tweeting about movie news, reviews, uh, stuff he writes, facts and figures, and uh, just all kinds of very useful information if you're interested in uh, Chinese cinema or Hong Kong cinema at all, please follow him. Uh, myself, twitter.com slash foxlore, although I'm not tweeting as much these days because I'm on diaper duty. And, Papa Fox! Uh, yeah, just uh, just haven't had time to be out and engaged in the social networks as much as I'd like to be. Um, Gmail, and uh, all, let me f please again reiterate that uh, Kevin has put up a, uh, a site for us over on Facebook, so you can Check us out there as well. Uh, if you want to email us, as as Andreas did, you can email us at Gmail. Uh, that is eastscreen at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, if you have a question, a comment, we'll uh, read it here on the show. If you'd like to send us a short review of a film, uh, keep it short, audio file, and we'll play it here on the show as well. Uh, if you are iTunes-averse, you can catch us on Stitcher, listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, BlackBerry, WebOS, whatever. Uh, Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support. Additional thanks go out to Rob Gobbers of Snouser Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of Love Hong Kong Film, lovehkfilm.com, for keeping us out and engaged in movie nights here in Hong Kong. Uh, the K-Man for being with us for 119, almost 120 episodes. And, of course, all of you, the listeners, for listening to us, whether you're in the chat room, um, or you're listening to us in podcast or on Stitcher, however you access us, uh, we're happy that you're there, and we love to hear back from you. Um, Kevin, next episode, 120. What yes. will we talk about? We should be talking about the Hong Kong film uh, Diva, starring Joey Young and uh, Mac Lam and Chamin Um And Paul, you'll be talking about Mado, the latest Mado film, Pork of Music. Uh, and I think I should be able to talk about the new Salman Khan film, Ek the Tiger. All right, Khan. Khan! We love our some Bollywood cons here on East Screen, West Screen. Although, unfortunately, it looks like I won't get out to uh, see that film. Uh, did you Did you happen to get uh, the other film you mentioned? The other film? The yeah. other film? Diva? Or no, or, or you haven't got tickets for the... the, the like the Tiger? Yeah. Yes, I did. I just went to uh, Chongqing tonight and picked up tickets and picked up the, 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 the Naili, because they have a lot of big choices of DVDs. The nice, nice boss lady gave me a lot of Shaka Khan movies, or sold me a lot of Shaka Khan movies. Right. Ooh, Shaka Khan movies. So, yeah, I look forward to revisiting the works of Shaka Khan. Yeah, I'm going to have to borrow some of those from you. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. Visit us on Facebook. See you guys next week. Talk.